Y'all are looking chipper like you got an extra hour of sleep or something. Anybody else, just let me talk to the young families for a minute. Anybody else notice though that your kids don't care about daylight savings time? They don't care. It can be any, any hour of the day and you, you think you're gonna get that extra hour so you stay up an extra hour, that's at least how I do it. And then you pay for it in the morning because the kids, they, they have no sense of uh, the time change. But, uh, but it's good to have you with us in worship. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we are particularly grateful that you are here. And I just want to welcome you. Um, I'm Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And on behalf of our elders, we have said we're a church to call home. That's who we believe God's calling us to be. And so we're just grateful that you've uh, found yourself in this place. And uh, our prayer is that you would make yourself at home. And uh, we're in the middle of this, uh, this uh, sermon series where we've been rediscovering what it is to be church. You know, post-pandemic, we've kind of gathered back together and um, we know what it is to go to church. We've all got that down, right? Glad you're here. Welcome. Um, but what does it mean to be the church? Like if we were to collectively find ourselves at the, the feet of Jesus, at the foot of that cross as we just sang about, and we were to ask Jesus, what would you have from your bride in this moment in time? What would he say to us? My, my hunch is that as we open up this particular lesson today, you have heard this teaching before. We're going to jump into it in a minute. It's one of the more familiar texts of all of scripture. But as we process this out loud, I bet you've never heard it like this. So far, we've talked about Jesus calling us to be a humble people. Brian kicked off the series with that one. That was good. And then we talked last Sunday about what it means to be a prayerful people. And, and to date, like this, those two things work pretty easily together, right? Like we can do that. We can be a humble people and a prayerful people. But this morning, we're going to open up to what I would say is one of the most radical teachings of Jesus. And if we buy into it, if we believe what Jesus teaches us, by the time we're done, my goal is to show us that this requires a complete overhaul in our followership of him. So here's what we're gonna talk about in the next 25 minutes. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna re-examine this statement. Tell me if you've heard this before. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, it requires three things of your life. First, that you deny yourself. Second, that you take up your cross. And third, in so doing, you follow me. Everybody heard that before? Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 8, and we're going to read this in its context. Chapter 8, verses 31 all the way to 38. And, uh, and let's see how this looks in, in the larger context of Jesus' lesson. Let's read this together. And so Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would take, come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." The grass withers and the flower fades, 
but the word of our God endures forever. So let's just walk this out. Let's start with the first one. What does it mean to deny yourself? Dale Schroeder uh, worked as a construction crew member his entire life. Dale was a Midwest man. He was kind of a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of guy. And every day for 50 years, Dale went to work doing the exact same thing. He would take two pieces of bread, stick them together with some peanut butter and jelly, and stuff his sandwich into his lunch pail and wait for the noon hour. And as his crewmates jumped into their trucks and headed for the nearest fast food or the quick shop nearby, he would eat his sandwich and he would dream. Dale had big plans. One day it was time to quietly but all but anonymously retire and after 13,000 plus some odd PBJs, Dale was finally ready to cash in on his savings. Over the years, he had made some wise investments and compounding interest had become his friend. And so Dale walked into a lawyer's office and he fulfilled his dream. He asked the council to set up a scholarship fund for 33 kids to go to trade school or college. And over the next 10 years, Dale single-handedly paid a full ride for every one of them. Now I tell you that story to get us thinking. Is that what Jesus meant when he said those words, deny yourself? And calling the crowd and the disciples his way, Jesus gathered them up and he said, listen, if any one of you would come after me, let him deny himself of his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What does a lifestyle of self-denial look like? Is it Dale? I think when we hear this teaching of Christ, and many of us have probably heard it repeatedly throughout our lives, we automatically think of giving something up, Right? To deny myself in, in a way is to withhold something tangible for Jesus' sake. If you grew up in church land, uh, maybe you think of the season of Lent. Anybody heard of that before, Lent season? You know, Lent is the, the time of spring before Easter where we, we give up sweets or, or alcohol or television. And you, you give that something up to focus on your faith, right? But if you read this story and you, you put that lens into this story, you've actually missed the point. See, this is important. When Christ used those words, he didn't mean behavioral management or, or self-restraint. No, Jesus said, don't deny yourselves just of things. Deny yourself. See, when we come at the gospel, it's this complete 180 degree reorientation of life. It's not that we give up something for Christ. It's that we give ourselves up for him. In fact, here's my definition. I'm going to muddy the water. It's going to get really confusing. But look at this on the screens. Here's my definition. To deny yourself is to remove yourself from yourself. Thanks, preacher. To remove yourself of yourself. Let me just see if we can unpack that a little bit. In the original language, uh, the word denial comes from the word aparneomai. Aparneomai. It means to renounce and to completely disassociate yourself from someone else. So to deny someone is to sever the relationship that you have with them, right? Think like unfriending your friend on Facebook because they had a different face mask policy than you. Think of, uh, in fact, think more biblically. Think of Peter's moment of denial. Remember that? The exact same word was used when Peter denied Christ. The servant girl asks him, are you with Jesus? You're with him, aren't you? And when Peter denied it, he a parneomide him. 
And with that word, Peter now publicly and intentionally separates himself and his relationship with Jesus. And I share that with you. I belabor that point, right, to show you how severe this word is. If you go back to our lesson, Jesus said, unlike Peter, if anyone would come after me, let him deny not me, but himself. And to do that well, then, is to sever the relationship that we have with ourselves. But now that I've got us all twisted up, let me, let me just continue. We are a culture that is obsessed with the self. Do you agree? We have this egocentric, I would even say a, a narcissistic ethos that's been ingrained in our society. You could start with the word selfie and then just expand it from there. We are obsessed with the self. You can turn on the TV tonight and try this. Watch the commercials and watch how they talk about the importance of you. You're the customer and therefore you're king. I think about my childhood soccer team, right? And growing up as a child, everyone got a trophy. At least my generation, we were taught you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. In his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, Carl Truman talks about how he got to this place. And he said, you know, historically, we've really only had one of two worldviews. The first worldview is, is, is quite ancient. It stands the test of time. This view regards the world as having a given order and a given meaning, and therefore our place as human beings is to discover that meaning and then conform ourselves to it. I'll give you a perfect example. And for centuries, a farmer was made to first discover and then fit into the agricultural world around them, right? You don't get to choose when you plant your field. Any farmers in the room? You are entirely reliant on, on the seasons, right? and on the creator to provide for you. So in an agricultural world, when it comes to the self, you bring a sense of humility. You know very quickly that life doesn't revolve around you and you are at mercy of something greater. So when spring arrives, you till the soil and you plant the seed and then you pray for rain and come fall, if all goes well, you harvest the crop. And then what do you do? You give thanks to the one who provided for the bounty that didn't come from you, but from him. But now more recently, on, on the timeline of history, we've come to gain this new worldview, this new understanding of ourselves and the world. And with technology and advancement in medicine, by contrast, we now have this view that sees the world from a much more egocentric point of view. Today, we, we see the world not as something that we adapt to, but rather this, this world as a raw material out of which we can now create our own meaning and our own purpose and our own selves. You no longer pray to the God that you believe in for provision. You now play God. I am what, what I create. Facebook, just two weeks ago, they changed their name to Meta. Everybody see that? I am what I create, right? Because the future of the world, they say, will be us stepping into the own universe that we've created in virtual reality. And here's why I share this tangent, right? When you add all the advances in medicine and the like, we can quickly find ourselves living with this abnormally high view of the self. We are a culture that worships ourselves. In music, in politics, in our movies, in our ads, we are a self-absorbed society. But Jesus said, if you come after me, though, the call is to deny yourself. 
What does that mean, to remove yourself from yourself? Ken Jacobs was a a Wycliffe Bible translator and a a missionary down in the jungles of Mexico. And he wanted the tribe that he was working with to understand this concept, to understand what those words meant. What does it mean to deny yourself? But as he tried to translate this passage, he found there was no word or or even concept of what it meant to be a self-denying people in their native tongue. So finally, Ken translated the passage like this. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him put out of his own heart what his own heart wants to do. If anyone wants to follow me, let him put out of his own heart what his own heart wants to do. Paul in his letter to the Philippians, he said it nearly the exact same way. Here's how he put it. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Which I think brings us to our our second point, right? If if it's denying yourself, and that's removing yourself from yourself, then what does that mean? Jesus said it means to die to the self, to take up the cross. In fact, in Matthew 10, Jesus was so emphatic about this, he takes it one step further. Look at this. He says, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Down in Texas, a woman by the name of Shirley Digert, she'd always wanted to jump out of a plane and skydive. And so for her 54th birthday, uh, her children and her grandchildren gifted her with the trip of a lifetime. She and her skydive uh, instructor, they trained all morning for what was supposed to be a, a routine tandem drive. They, they flew up, calm skies, beautiful day. They, they jumped out of the plane at 13,000 feet. And the first few minutes were perfection. And then her instructor pulled the ripcord and it failed. The parachute was so tangled up, they were moving at 40 miles per hour, spinning out of control. So he pulled the backup cord, but things were still going too fast and the backup cord got tangled in the mess and Shirley thought for sure this was it. In the last minute, her instructor gave Shirley a, a really odd command. He screamed at her, he said, lift up your feet. Right as she hoisted her legs up, he positioned his body under her so that as they hit the ground, he would take the impact. Shirley walked away with a sore neck. Dave is now paralyzed from the neck down. Again, what does it mean to deny yourself and in so doing, die to self? Is that what Jesus meant? Take up your cross? Just consider this with me for a minute. The the disciples and the crowd that had gathered around Christ, they had no idea what Jesus was about to do. We have hindsight. We know Jesus was going to the cross. But in that moment, that wasn't even a thought. Like, take up your cross. What is this guy talking about? See, I think here's where we we misunderstand this passage. The, The cross wasn't a reference to Hobby Lobby's home decor. You with me? We have these crosses on our walls and we put them up in the sanctuary, all stained and looking nice. And we easily forget that this was a tool of execution. Crucifixion was a horrifying, like terrifying act. And so the disciples in this crowd, they would have heard this something more like this. Deny yourself, take up your electric chair and follow me. 
Now, those are jarring words. Jesus is talking about life and and death here. Take up your cross means not only are you called to deny yourself, but you're called to die to self. I think often when we think of those words to, to take up your cross, we get this picture of Jesus carrying his cross through the streets of Jerusalem, right? Or maybe you think of Simon of Cyrene. Remember, he was the guy who was charged with carrying the cross behind Jesus for Jesus' sake. And so with the best of intentions, we we translate this passage as a call to carry our own burdens for the sake of the gospel. Except for the fact that didn't Jesus say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? See, I'm not so sure this is the intent of the passage. The gospel isn't about carrying a burdensome cross. The gospel is about denying your will and living for God's will about dying to your sinful flesh such that you can live for Jesus. And I think in a day and age where the modern self is king, these are fighting words. This goes completely against the grain of our culture. It almost seems like a a completely different way of looking at life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you'll remember, uh, was a German pastor who stood up to the rise of Hitler And in his memoir, The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote this. This is a long quote, but it's rich. Just read it with me. He said, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man, which is the result of his encounter with Christ. And so as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death, and thus it begins. The cross is not a terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. Because when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. See, this self-denying, this this cross-carrying life, it's not meant to be a burdensome life. It's meant to be a new life of newfound freedom. It's a life where we die to ourselves, to our flesh, to our pride and to our wants, to our selfishness and our arrogance, our vengefulness. And instead, we now make Christ to live in us. Galatians 5.24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Colossians 3 verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You know, I feel like so often in the the comfort of our freedoms, we forget just how relevant this passage is for thousands of brothers and sisters in our world. You know, for many to take up your cross as a, a literal calling, right? To say yes to Jesus is to say yes to come what may, the gallows, the execution chamber, shooting range. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow. Because whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, the gospels will save it. Let's just look at this last part as we, we wrap up here. What does it mean then to follow? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And I think in many ways, if we're doing the first two well, the last one follows and it falls into place. 
Now, if you've denied yourself, if, if you prayed not my will, but thy will, and then if you've taken up your cross and if you sort of put Paul, well, Paul's words into practice of dying to your flesh and living for him, then your footsteps are already in line. But I think it's worth saying that there's a temptation in our day to call upon Jesus as Savior, but to leave him behind as Lord. As I said, I, I think we know what it is to go to church. We know what it is to gather up on Sundays and to worship together, but come Monday, what does it mean to be to the church? What does it look like to be the church when you step back into your, your work environment? What does it mean to be the church when you drop the kids off at school? What does it mean to be the church when you find yourself in front of a, a professor on Monday morning who might not agree with your faith? The gospel calls us an entire reorientation of the self. In fact, in Luke's gospel, same story, we see that Jesus upped the ante. He said, when you take up your cross, do this daily. It's so much easier, at least for me, to live for compartmentalized Jesus though, right? We, we unbox him on Sunday and then put him back into the, the box until next time. What, what does it mean to leave my flesh behind and to deny myself and to take up my cross on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Some of you have heard this story before. In college, I served an entire summer as a camp counselor in a place called Camp Red Cloud. A gorgeous camp. It was tucked under these two 14,000 foot mountains in Colorado. And one of my jobs that summer was to belay the kids off of the top of this cliff wall, thousand feet up in the air. One by one, we'd get them into this harness and we'd teach them how to rappel to the ground. If you've ever done this, then you know that the hardest part of, of this journey is the first step, right? Because you're all hooked up and you've got your ropes on and the only way you're gonna walk down the wall is if you lean off the cliff and get your feet on the wall. And if you could talk the students into this, into that first step, they were good to go. So all summer long, we did this sort of rinse and repeat all day until one day this man was so terrified of heights this young kid, he clammed up halfway down the wall. And instead of trusting the rope and leaning back in his harness, he decided to grab the belayer's rope instead. It did two things. One, it burned his hand almost immediately. And two, now he was stuck. He had to use this rope, but instead he was clinging to this rope. And for five to six hours, I kid you not, he stood there frozen. I should say hung there frozen. He was just clinging to this rope. He would not take his hand off of what he thought was his lifeline. And therefore he couldn't go down. So we climbed down to be next to him. And for hours as his belayer stood on the ground holding him, we tried to talk him off that wall. A rainstorm hit, almost turned into snow. He didn't care, firm grip. Sun began to go down. The kids got in the vans and drove back to camp for dinner. He still wasn't moving. See, he couldn't trust his belayer, right? He could not put his life into the hands of that rope. He could not deny himself of his own plans and die to his own will so that he could get down the wall. And for the disciple of Jesus, no matter the cultural context or the day, the timeless truth is this. We have a savior who, when we were completely hopeless and lost, made a way where there was no way to save us from our sin and from ourselves. And therefore, this life, for those who are following Christ, it can't be about me. It can't be about my plans and my ways anymore. And let's be honest, that's a radical call. 
That's not an easy task to let go and to die to self daily. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Let's ask God to show us what that means for our lives this week. Will you pray with me? God, we know that your thoughts are not our thoughts, that your ways are, are far better than our ways. Lord, that we are called as, as followers of you to seek your will and not ours. And yet, God, so often in a culture where we are told over and over and over again that we are king, where the nuance is that we are even God, Lord, we know this call is difficult. And so, God, we ask by the Holy Spirit, would you come among us and help us, show us what it means to truly deny ourselves, to set down our will for your will. And, Lord, help us to, to truly understand how we take up our cross and, and die to ourselves such that you live in us. Lord, our heart's desire is to follow you. And Lord, for you to shine so brightly through us that others don't see us, but they see you in us. Lord, we think of that prayer of Paul's of for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so God, we, we just make that our prayer this morning. Would you help us to live for you and to let go of the flesh in us such that you would be glorified. Show us how to do that this week, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.